Welcome to the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast, the show for anyone wanting to be on the cutting edge of SaaS tech sales. We provide the tools you need to take advantage of the rapidly changing sales environment. We bring you the leading experts on the front lines of SaaS sales and distill down our famous masterclasses into bite-sized practical tips. Your hosts will be Ash Ali and Matt Milligan. And on this podcast, we'll be helping you transform your ability to sell more so you can smash your targets. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast. We're recording this on the 20th of July, 2022, for anyone listening to this in the future. We've just had the hottest day in history in the UK. I think productivity probably took a hit across most of the SaaS sector yesterday and lots of laptops overheating. We're back today with a, another fantastic episode and delighted to be joined on the show today by a fellow enabler, someone in the industry who I've got to know in recent months, whose opinions and thought leadership I've grown to admire and follow. Today's guest is none other than Celine Gray. For those who haven't heard of Celine, Celine is the Director of Revenue Acceleration at Oyster. Celine, welcome onto the show. Thank you, Matt. It's an absolute pleasure to be here talking to you. Awesome. So I think we're going to try and stay hydrated during today's show. We're going to try and stay cool and not overheat. Looking forward to jumping into some, some big enablement topics with you. Definitely. Absolutely. We've got the water bottle at the ready. Superb. The question that I always like to ask when I have enablers on the podcast is how did you get here? Like what drew you into the profession? And if you wouldn't mind, you know, sharing a little bit more about your journey so far. I mean, I can see from LinkedIn, you've been, I think, enablement leader at at least four of the, the top SaaS brands that have been gone on to be acquired. So many learnings in there, but love to, I'm sure the guests would love to hear more about the story. Yes, journey to enablement was about, I think, doing enablement before enablement was a thing. What drew me in enablement, specifically sales enablement, is sales. I do have a passion for sales. My mom had a florist shop and I had people coming in and flower is a luxury product. And I think I learned very early that asking questions and really truly understanding not what you need to sell, but what the other person is going to be gaining as a as a as a satisfaction to to move away with that specific presence or flower or whatever was going to be the thing. So this basically led a lot of my sales career in banking and in tech. When I started approaching tech, there was a lot of training. And I absolutely love that. And when I took over some teams and started, you know, growing my career as a sales leader, what I found is a lot of the training were managed by HR and it was great, but it's very conceptual. We had consultant coming and then the whole sales team would go, okay, that was a great experience in terms of training, but what do I do with that effectively? How is that going to help me achieve target or increase my customer satisfaction? So I started putting programs together as early as mid-90s with gateway computers, with WebSense, and we created a kind of hybrid operation sales leadership role. And the effect was tremendous. The fact that people came in, ramped up very, very quickly. We measured everything. We were early adopters of Salesforce. My boss at the time was a master at Pivot Table on Excel. So we really had the data to back up and we were able to iterate very, very quickly and put all of what we call enablement today in place. And then I stayed in sales leadership because enablement was not a thing until enablement became a thing. And then I started doing a transition specifically in Rackspace and then after, you know, moving away from 
those companies when they got acquired to actually help the next SaaS grow to where they needed to be in order to be in an exit place. What an amazing journey. And I can't wait to dig deeper into that evolution and learn more from your experiences about how the profession is changing. Just for the audience listening, Celine, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about the current project and you obviously come in, you've got an awesome job title, you know, revenue acceleration is an awesome way to describe what we do. What is it that Oyster do? And what's a little bit more about the Oyster story? Yeah, Oyster is a hyper growth company. So we went from 17 employees to 600 in less than two years, right? So it's pretty, pretty, pretty fast. And I think we want to enable every company to, to be able to do that. One of the success of Oyster is exactly what it does. It enables company to hire a candidate anywhere in the world. So I hear C-suite telling me every day that you know they need to do an expansion, they need to grow their revenue, they need to address new market and so on and so forth. But they're very, very careful of where they put the investment because opening offices in order to be able to open new market is very expensive. And so the ability to be able to hire people in those markets that can help you and you can test maybe 10 markets instead of testing one at the same time. So then you can decide after 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, where you should have your hubs and where you should have your offices is actually quite attractive. But beyond this, because of the COVID pandemic, what happened is remote work and distributed work accelerated for all companies. And I think there's a lot of companies and organizations that realize that it's a very strong competitive advantage in order to attract talent who don't necessarily want to spend two hours in commute every day and enjoy the flexibility of work. It increases productivity. There's there's a lot of benefit about remote and distributed work that we don't need to necessarily go in there. It's also creating by default a very diverse and inclusive workforce, which again is another one of these levers of productivity and, and success. So Oysters manage the whole hiring process, paying process and benefit process for companies who are looking to extend their remote workers beyond the way where they have offices. Amazing. And an incredible growth story that you've been on. And, you know, obviously you've been been at the heart of that over the last 12 months. It must have been quite a a challenge enabling so many new sellers and go to market headcount in that in such a short period of time particularly given that everyone is is distributed. There's a couple of challenges that come with it, right? You have that paradigm that says, you know, you can have something fast, you can have it cheap, or you can have it, you know, of great quality, and you can only have two. So speed is a given for us. We just really, it's not something that we go, "Mm, are we going to wait? No, we don't. So what's very important is what's fit for purpose right now, because we're growing so fast, the processes are changing all the time. New product really is coming all the time, new technology being adopted all the time, new people coming with their own ideas and adding to that culture constantly. So it's being very comfortable with the ability to be able to create something quickly and being able to let it go quickly in order to to go to the next thing. In those two years, there's not been the time, resources and people to be able to create necessarily everything like the perfect, you know, 600 people company. But whatever we needed to do in order to get there, we did. And then we're going and and iterating again. One of the challenges of the enabling is obviously the distributed aspect because you're working across time zone and remotely you can create a lot of Zoom fatigue if you just map the old ways of working in the office straight into a virtual environment. It just doesn't work. It creates a lot of brain drain. 
And so Oyster is very clever and we've got amazing teams working on distributed work and creating new ways of working. So in enablement, it's the same. I would only do a live session if we need a behavioral shift so that we create through that interaction in the live session. It's not a monologue, it's a, it's an exercise. An awareness so that people go, oh, this is not working. I need to do something different. And then we can start enabling because that's the very first thing, right? It's being aware of what you do and being willing to change in order to be able to improve or fix or, or mitigate risk. And so once we've got this, then we can start putting e-learning, async work and a different blended approach in order to get people to where they need to be. What I really like about the journey you've been on at Oyster is you you become thought leaders and experts in the domain that you're building your company in. But great to hear some of those kind of golden nuggets and lessons there. And super interesting as well, because I think in response to the pandemic a couple of years back, it did feel like a lot of our clients just kind of did a lift and shift of, you know, their yeah. onboarding and, and everboarding processes that were mostly reliant on in-person and just flipped them over to Zoom. Yeah, I think the biggest shift really, I don't, I don't know that it was for the workers. I think it was for the sales leaders, especially for sales team. You have that pack, right? I love rugby. I really do. And I often think there's a lot of similarity between a rugby team and a sales team. And so you've got that pack and you've got the leaders in that pack. They are in that physical time, you know, and physical space all the time. And so you've got observational management all the time. It doesn't mean micromanaging, but you will be able to know as a leader if somebody, you know, is well and well and so on and so forth, whether they need help. You can turn as a worker to the person on your left and ask them for an information or, you know, there's all these moments of social learning and social interaction is just gone from one day to the next. And so the risk with leaders who don't enable themselves to new ways of working is they're going to try to micromanage everything because they can't see it. Observation is gone. So what they're going to do is start suddenly have loads of live meetings and loads of things and talk time and, and try to check everything and put a multitude of processes in place in order to just go and try to get to the heart of the information. Where What do you need to know? You know? What are your success key criteria? What is going to enable your people to be successful? What are the top five or 10 metrics they need to look at? And you can enable them to so that they can be independent with that data and they can coach themselves, ask for help. And rather than actually focus on the micromanagement, focus on building trust, focus on having critical conversations, focus on leading by example in vulnerability so that people can come to you and you have that ability to have those conversations that move the needle. If you don't have that, you're going to have artificial harmony. Artificial harmony is when people tell you what they think you want to hear. It's already bad in an office to have that. Remotely, it's even worse because then you completely lose touch with your team. And then gradually, as you go through the level, you're going to drive accountability. You're going to drive commitment. You're going to drive focus on the result. Everything is going to make your team successful. And I think people focus on their own security and the fact that they can't see the team and they focus on one aspect where they should focus on that trust element. And obviously, you know, other pieces of the business, but this is the, the foundation of it. And that observational leadership piece is a fascinating one, because as you say, that was totally gone in a fully remote context. And we did see some interesting approaches being used by certain sales leaders, everything from, you know, constantly on Zoom meetings, yeah. um, you name it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is also 
because it was so new, you only know what you know, right? So this is where you go and, and think, okay, what is it that I don't know? What? How is it that we can work differently? The huddles we do in our team, for example, because we of the time difference, they come in Slack uh, to, to people. And we put a very simple, you know, because of iteration of what we do, there's a lot of things that we're doing in parallel. Progress from last week, plan for this week, problems that we may have had or blockers and highlights. And what it means is everybody else in the team, it takes about two minutes to read. And then you can ask questions about a project. Maybe you're working on something else. And then when we have the huddle, it's purely for social time and also for so bonding time because we've got a new team and also for anything that's not been solved that needs to be solved as a team so that we can come up with a creative solution. So when there is live time, I think you need to think what is the intent of it being live and can it be done any other way? So that huddle would take probably about 10 minutes to read for five people, maybe 15 if we've got a little bit more content. And that's probably the content of one person going after the next of an hour meeting. I love it. I love it. Some great golden nuggets and ideas there. I'd love to, to talk now about enablement, Celine. And obviously, mm. you know, as you, you talked about in your journey, you've been within the profession for, for a number of years. How do you currently, you know, define sales enablement? And, you know, the reason I ask that question, a lot of the sales leaders that come on to this podcast, you know, they quite often have quite different definitions of what mm-hmm. sales enablement is or what it ought to be and whether it should report into them or into marketing. I'd love to hear, you know, what have you seen as, you know, the kind of best definition of sales enablement? I'm super clear on my definition of enablement. So it is something that is quite rooted as a revenue acceleration, sales enablement, sales effectiveness, sales readiness, whatever you want to call this team, the discipline is quite new, right? We enable the sales organization, acquire and retain customers. That's what we do. How do we do this? The first thing is that in order to be successful, salespeople need to know what they're doing. And that's the skills and competency they need in order to do the job that they doing, whether they be DRs, account executive, account managers, strategic account directors, sales leaders, BDR managers. Each of these people have got a set of competency and skills that they need in order to be successful. That's the first part. The second part is if they know what to do, are they doing it? Because you could know, you know, you could be the best person selling in the world. If you're not actually calling customers, not going to work, right? So it's about the activity. And it's not only about activity volume. It's not only about dials. It's about doing the right activity that yields the right result. Because otherwise, you run out of steam. It's very easy to get completely drained in sales and doing a lot of things that is not working. You could write cadence. If your cadence has got a reply rate of 0.5%, you need to review your activity and how you're doing that activity in order to work in a smarter way and yielding a better result for what effort you're putting in. And that's part of that is also the mindset. It's a bit like sport. You start at zero every match, right? <laughs> every month you start at zero and so on. And it's a, there's a consistency that comes with self, especially with outbound, but also with inbound, with building relationship and just making sure you have your pipeline and your forecast. And there's a multitude of activity to deal with. So that mindset was also very, very important. The last part of it is the tools and system that helps you be efficient and effective. And you need all three. Because if you know what to do and you're doing it, but you don't have a system that enables you to do account development planning or even you know, your cadence or a CRM system, 
you're not going to be organized enough in order to be able to compute the amount and the volume of activity they are. And underlying all of this is data. So what is the funnel telling me about the skill of that person when they are at negotiation or when they're qualifying a lead before they're actually doing a demo? What is the data telling me about the mindset or the activity of the person, the calls and the words that are being used, for example, or the market they're operating into, right? And the perception they have of that market and that competitors, for example, do they have a mindset that they know they can overcome those and focus on what the customer situation is or are they focusing on elements that they believe are lacking because no solution is the same right it's just there's variance in all of them and finally in terms of data and process you know we did something about tool adoption so we were releasing technology quite quickly too quickly so we didn't use it properly so we didn't get what we needed from them so all that data underneath is quite important in order to be able to I define that sales enablement in a very long shell, not 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 a nutshell, a big nutshell. But I think it's great to get that overview of the different the various pillars. I mean, in your experience, Celine, where where do you see the most the most challenges in the roles that you've been in across those those four or five pillars? Is it the first part of actually you know building the skills and competencies? It, you know, data is a really interesting one that you spoke about at the end there, and you obviously have a lot of enablement teams <laughs> kind of operating with without it. What do you see as the kind of biggest challenges? I think the challenges is the alignment. So you always have the field and what they see right now they need. So they need a a cheat sheet on a competition because the competitors is doing a campaign. But actually, nobody's enabled in terms of competency. So so what is the most important? What is going to yield the biggest results? So all three are important. You can't have one without the other. It's not working. I think the the critical bit, every organization is going to be different in terms of what they need. So I put another dimension on the sales enablement. So I have those three pillars and then I have another side of the Rubik's Cube, if you want, which is basically what is foundational, what must be there in order to be for that team to be successful over time and to be able to grow with the market because working in SaaS and green companies, you know you're going to start at SMB, you know you're going to move to a market, you're going to move to enterprise, you know competition is going to be fierce, you know you're going to move to different market, you know, APAC and US and EMEA and so on and so forth. So you can preempt some of that through the foundation that you're building. The next thing is what's ad hoc, that competitive campaign, COVID happening, at Pecon, we had a really huge hospitality and retail client base. When COVID hit, it was brutal. We managed to flip it and turn it around because we were very agile, but also because we enabled new persona and new market and so on and so forth. And then finally, this continuous learning, what I call bridges, they call carrier paths as well. How do you go from this role to this role? And very often we think about bridges as something that is vertical. I'm a BDR, I become an account manager, I become a senior account manager, and I become a, you know, and then it just goes up like this. But it could be a bridge between BDR and product or marketing or customer success. I think, especially the new generation, they are so agile and so curious about the business that they're able to switch. And there's a lot of value in getting people from different business unit to come and work and do something else because you will get a perspective that you will never get otherwise. So this is definitely something that I encourage. So we're using those as well in order to prioritize what needs to be done. Uh, sometimes I win the fight, sometimes I don't know. That happens. <laughs> I love it. And, uh, you know, that agility point you make there, Sonina, is a, a really important one, I think. And 
in terms of the, the state of the market today is a prime example, right? Things are yeah. things are moving very quickly and very fast. So having that ability to, to move very quickly is, is key. I'm curious as well, on that journey you've been on in your career, Celine, I mean, how has sales enablement evolved? You mentioned, you know, in the very beginning, it wasn't <laughs> even a thing. What are some of the kind of like key changes that you've seen happen and play out? So if I look back at WebSense, right, as a sales leader, I started doing onboarding. So I had a week because I had people who just landed with a desk and a computer. And I was looking at them and I was, I was almost feeling sorry for them because you have that honeymoon period when you, you join a company where you're super excited. And then at some stage, you know, it's, it's not the same problem. <laughs> Suddenly they go, oh, I don't know anybody. I don't know the product. What am I doing here? And so we want to avoid this. So first we we face it head on. And I think we've, with WebSense, a lot of this was around education, skills, competency, products, and what I call data independence. So the at the time, leadership had the key to data. And I was lucky enough to have a leader. It was like, I'm happy you to, for you to give the key to your team so they know what they're doing. So that data independence, so that the team could understand what they're doing, that works, but didn't, and then be able to be the change that they, they needed to do. And so a lot of this was around learning. So we had a lot of learning and and learning and learning with enablement. Then data came in because it had to, <laughs> because you know there's been some difficult economic situation that made it. And also, you know, I worked for Tableau. I'm absolutely loving the insight that Tableau gave me. Right, with the technology giving us more ability to be able to record the call, be able to actually do some coaching on very specific without having to sit for a whole afternoon next to somebody until they reach out to somebody. All of this enabled us to be more efficient, more technology-oriented. So we have in the team, for example, a BDR enablement manager. So I'm a true believer in getting subject matter expert in each field and the reason is BDR is very heavy in MarTech. It's also very heavy in processes. And there is an art, there's most importantly, a science to it. And so T owns that science. And she's made some amazing, amazing impact just in the span of two months. And so the ability to be able to have the understanding of the process and that technology that supports has enabled enablement to change and be able to touch other organizations. It's also matured in seniority. So whereas before, I think sales enablement at the beginning was very much, we're going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it. I think sales enablement is now being reached out as a guidance and advisor. And we go, okay, we're going to put this in place. What do you think? What's the best approach? What's the domino effect? When is the best time to do it? Which I So we get involved in a lot more things than, than we were 20 years ago. It sounds like the role has become a lot more consultative in terms of the way in which you work yeah. with the sales teams. And the point you made around being data-driven, I think is a really interesting one because so many of the enablers that, that, that I work with, I quite often find, you know, it's just got to create content, you know, the sales team need content, but but actually without data underpinning what you're doing, you're kind of just spraying and praying. I mean, there's nothing directing where you're going to focus your efforts. How do you also think about using data to measure outcomes, Celine? And, you know, you spoke a lot about your use of data from the very beginning. How do you think about you know, tracking the outcomes of, of enablement? So we're building dashboards at the moment for enablement. So 
I still go around those three quadrants of tools and processes, skills and competency and mindset and activity because but I do it around the funnel, right? So this, for me, the funnel is where, you know, customer come in and then wins come out. So it's very important to understand some of the quick wins. So we work on a marginal gain, right? Atomic gain, some of small things that add up to something big. So because then it's a very quick win to be able to see if you have a massive gap, you just fix it, right? In terms of data dashboard, we measure onboarding, which is the ramp, which is a new person coming in. What must they be able to do after two weeks, after months, after 45 days, after 60 days, 90 days? We start with activity. I'm not going to expect anybody to close a deal in the first two weeks when they're going to be here, but I'm going to expect them to be able to put X amount of articles on LinkedIn or one article on LinkedIn to be able to start reaching out to X amount of people that are connected to the persona that we actually reaching out in order to start enabling themselves as well to have those connections and start seeing what comes on the feed, what's in, of interest to them, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a number of activities that are going to lead eventually to that outcome that we want to enable in terms of behavior. So that's one set of data. In terms of video enablement, we're going to look at cadence. We're going to look at activity. We're going to look, what's the prime time for each region in order to be able to do phone calls or outreach or <laughs> LinkedIn so that we were completely in phase with those and you know, what's a better way for us to be able to be consultative with clients. So Zoom is amazing. I use it every day. I used WebEx in 99 when I was working in Oracle. Apart from the emoji, the filter, and the camera resolution, I still had the same features, you know, 20 years ago. And that blows my mind that this market has not been disrupted. We're using a, a technology called DemoDesk, which enables us to basically, during the demo, hand over the control to the customer, and we guide them. So they do their own demo. I mean, that in itself is a customer experience. It's, it's far more memorable when I'm basically... It's like going on a trial, but you have a guide. And so then you become independent on the platform and you know how to use it. And I think there's there's a lot of ability. I'm digressing here, but there's a lot of ability to be able to impact some of that, some of that technology. There's a lot of technology coming for sales enablement. I love it. And the last part of it, when we took at activity and mindset, is coaching. And I think there's a big gap here in terms of coaching data. Because coaching means different things. So we talk to leaders and they're like, oh yeah, no, I coach them on the deal. Okay, you gave them, you did a deal review and you gave some advice on to how to continue and be able to do the deal, which is great. But there's also coaching on skills. There's coaching on that customer consultative engagement that you're going to run. There's coaching internally in order to be able to mentor people on how they can communicate inside the organization and just get what they want. As salespeople, we communicate with product, with legal, with finance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so... There's a lot of technology that comes around coaching, but I feel enablement has been really, really busy with the skills, the data, a little bit of coaching. So we have sales trainer and sales coach that actually come, but it's not systematic, not as systematic as some of the other things. Yeah, I love it. Celine, we've covered so much of the journey. Thank you so much for your insight so far. I mean, just a final question to wrap up, if I may. I know that you think a lot about the role and the profession and where we're headed. What next? I mean, what next for sales enablement? Where do we go from here? So enablement is sales, right? And it was sales. Then it was BDR and sales. And then it was BDR sales and account managers and then leaders. And so we have the streams that are starting, that have appeared, right? And then we have CX enablement. I'm a firm believer in enabling the organization. So my vision for enablement is chief of enablement, is a function 
that enable everybody in the organization to know what they're doing, to do it, and to have the right mindset about it, and to be able to have the tools and systems that make them effective and efficient, and measure themselves with data. Everybody links everything to revenue. Which is great because you know this is where you can actually have budget and do things and give you more freedom and there's a number of things. Should it be revenue for everything? I don't know. I really truly believe there are other data that will enable us to center on the customer. And it's really, I'm going to reiterate that again. Revenue is a is an outcome, is a result of what you've done with your customer. So that customer centricity for finance, for legal, for product is really important. I remember in websites when I put the sales enablement, the program and the onboarding program, I suddenly had support coming in and then I had marketing coming in. And then suddenly before I know it, I had a global onboarding program for everybody. Everybody got value out of it. And so ever since that time, I'm thinking we're not enabling people. We're very good at enabling the culture. So this is who we are as a company. These are our values. This is how you behave. This is how you give feedback. I mean, the people team have been amazing at doing this. What we're not doing is that missing piece, right? How do we ensure that we have leaders enabled in engineering or in marketing or in sales? So we have this individual really, truly enabled. Because if you do that, so it already works at sales level. We know that because we're able to accelerate revenue beyond numbers that we've ever been able to see, right? Can you imagine if we do that with the whole organization? It's not only the revenue that is going to increase, it's the culture, the ability to be able to release product quality. There's a number of indicators, cost efficiency, everything is going to be a bypass of this. So that chief of enablement, I really do hope that I'm going to see it in my lifetime. I look forward to the job alerts or the job update <laughs> LinkedIn when you make that, that yeah. role and watch this space. I don't know, yeah. I've got strong opinions, so I don't know if that would play in <laughs> why it should be we will see we will see Celine thanks so much for joining me on today's show I've gained so much personally from the conversation and on behalf of myself and everyone in the UHUB's team just massive gratitude for taking the time and sharing so generously thank you it's it's only a gift back because I always get loads when I talk to you so you know happy to have been of any assistant for help awesome Celine thanks so much and look forward to doing this again thank you Matt by uncovering blind spots on performance, motivation, and skills. UHubs helps busy sales leaders at top SaaS companies to optimize their sales enablements so that they can develop reps and grow revenue. The UHubs Pulse platform visualizes each team's development needs, personalized upskilling, and provides data-driven coaching recommendations. These save sales managers 40 plus hours per quarter and help reps to ramp up 30% faster. Supercharge your sales team by booking a demo today.